Happy New Year, everyone. How many of you have already broken your New Year's resolution? <laughs> you didn't make one. That's cheating. Um, I realized on the second that I didn't start my reading plan on the first, so now I'm caught up. And what I did is what I shared with you last week about the Gospel Coalition's use of Robert Murray McShane's Bible plan. I put copies on the, on the back there. So if you need one, if, if we run out, I can get more. That, that copier in the back wiped me out, but I think I figured it out now. I went two, two copies to one, and what the copier gave me was four sheets of paper and two blanks. So I still don't know what I did, but um, yeah. I'll ask Sawyer to help me next time. She's young. She's got that tech savvy. She can figure it out. Okay, so again, there's the things to read through the new year and get through the Bible. The Old Testament in a year, the New Testament and Psalms twice through the year. So looking forward to that. Oh, and also, we have an announcement. We have a member of our body is going to be joining the Grandparents Club. Al and Leanne Bowers, yes, Albion, Albion and Becca are due to have Albion, the, what, the 7th, the 6th, in 6th in July of 2020, but it's 21, 20, thank you, but it, it will be in the, I don't understand how you could be born in the later half of the month. All my family is like the 15th and up. So hopefully we'll pray she comes early or he comes early. And if you don't know, Albion is a name that's carried through their generations from the Civil War. The Civil War. It's a man that actually saved and, and the reason Al is here today. Um, so his great-great-great-grandfather passed the name of the man that saved his life onto his children, correct? I didn't butcher that? Good, good, good. And I think they have a gun from that period, too, that gets passed on, right? Yeah. I mean, we just looked through a book for names. <laughs> this one's got real meaning, so. No, actually, we went on to some family members, got family names in. And, well, that's great news. That is great news. To join the grant. Any other announcements about children? None? 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 Okay. Okay, last week we looked at the light, this light that was promised to Judah in, in the first part of chapter 9 of Isaiah. Um, they were looking, prior to that, they were looking, seeing their neighbors that were devastated and later they themselves would be relocated but in this passage right here that we went through last week of Isaiah 9 1 through 8 or 1 through 7 we saw that God gave them a promise to look forward to and that light this Jesus that was promised would be available for us as well as Gentiles but today's message was delivered to the northern kingdom, Israel. 
And it wasn't exactly as promising as last week. So last week started out, it said, but there will be no gloom for her. So that's very good. This week starts out, the Lord has sent a word against Jacob and it will fall on Israel. Last week we went over one of the most famous verses and probably the famous verse for the time around Christmas, right? Isaiah 9-6, Isaiah 9-6, for unto us a child is born, for us a, a son is given. This passage we're going to go over has none. Um, but in true fashion, Isaiah, who was in the upper class of, of society in Judah, we got what is a well-written passage to the northern, northern kingdom. So at least with all the devastation they will get from it, they had this well-written poem going for him. It has a repeating phrase. That's one thing when I ask you to read the Bible is look for those repeating passages because if God repeats it, it's important. So here we see there's a repeating phrase that we will see in 12, in 17, 21, and in also 10.4. And we also, remember we saw this phrase when we went through chapter 5. And it wasn't good, because remember we called chapter 5 the woe-woe passage? Because everything was woe to you, woe. So Isaiah is delivering today. It's a very impressive. It's a four-stanza poem, beautiful in its language, but it is very chilly in its eventual outcome. We see, we see a people that was called by God. These folks were called by God to be his people. And out of sinful pride, they separated, became a northern kingdom who continually rejected their heavenly father. Ezekiel 33:11 tells us that God does not desire us to die, but but if we keep pushing, he'll oblige us. We're going to see here in Israel, we're going to see a national implosion that was caused by total total disobedience. And, and maybe it's me, but if you, when you get a look at this, it's hard not to look at other countries and even our country and see, are we on a path like this? I'm not saying we're on the same level yet as Israel, yet, but we're going to look at a country that's in moral decline and it leads to their ruin. So the four stanzas that we're going to go over today are going to be broken down like this. We're going to go over a national disaster, and that's verses 8 through 12. And we're going to see a word against Jacob, and it falls on Israel, and his word is rejected by them by their arrogant pride. Then we're going to see damage has caused the need to rebuild. And then we're going to read about an attack that's coming from an external enemy. Number two, the second part, 
will be a political collapse. And this will cover verses 13 through 17. And we're going to cover since the people did not listen and they turned their back to their God, he will undermine their leadership and many will suffer. The third part, we're going to see a social implosion in 18 through 21. Israel is going to tear itself apart as people turn against people, seeking their own pleasure. And the only thing that unites this country is their hatred towards Judah. And then number four, we're going to see moral perversion in 10, 1 through 4. Laws that were, that were instituted to provide a safeguard and provide some level of maturity were being overturned. This causes the helpless to suffer. And then we're going to see the brutal people will suffer in their day of judgment. Now, if you look at the new laws that came out for California in 2021, you can see some of the things exactly what I'm talking about here. Um, I'm talking about a state that is spiraling downhill as our state leaders are, are really seeking to legalize things that provide them pleasure. So the moral fabric of this society is leaving and good people are left to suffer for now and praise God that it's just for now. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we can look to you at all times. Oh, just help us to open our minds and hearts this morning as we look at your word, written so many thousands of years ago, but so meaningful for us today. Help us to seek you in all things. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that provided this word that is all about you, Jesus. We thank you so much for it. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So the passage today is Isaiah 9, 8 through 10, verse 4. I'm going to read that for you now. The Lord has sent word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. And all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stone. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians of the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with an open mouth. For all his anger is not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off Israel from head and tail, palm branch and reed, in one day. The elder and honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tale. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, 
and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore, the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on the fatherless and the widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer. Every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger has not turned away. His hand is stretched out still, for wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. They slice the meat on the right, but they are still hungry. And they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this his anger is not turned away. His hand is still stretched out. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of their right and the widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar to whom will you flee for help? To where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or to fall among the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Now we think back to what we covered earlier. Isaiah is giving Israel the same message he gave Judah. In chapter 7, we saw that Isaiah met Ahaz near the upper pool as Ahaz was inspecting the water and basically told him, you know, if you're not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. And we know Israel was not firm in anything but sin and building up more sin on top of their previous sin. So they will hear, and I'm sure they will not remember, this woe that is coming to them. So verses 8 through 12, national disaster. The Lord has sent a word against Israel, against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. The Lord sent word to Israel. Now who did God send to minister to them around this time? Well, we know it was the prophets Amos and Hosea were up there. And they were the ones that brought the word to the north from God. And God sent his message, and it will fall on Israel. We see God powerfully talking to Israel in Amos 4, 6 through 11, declaring how he has warned them, but they ignored it. And he ends each of those verses with his declaration. And then in Amos 4.12, because Israel was so hard-headed, God tells them basically, prepare to meet me. 
And I doubt if God was going to choose to hug it out with them. That was not going to happen. In fact, Amos's warning, and in today's passage, God is telling Israel of how Israel, due to their perpetual disobedience, they're going to be carried out of their land. So we see God keeps sending word to these stiff-necked people that he greatly loved. He sent it over and he sent it over. And we can see this word falling down on them, pleading for them to listen and obey. And in verse 9 it says, And all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, God is saying there is no escape or favor for his punishment. All will know what is happening and why. No one will be able to say, I didn't know. Nobody told me. They will fully know. And in fact, in fact, in this rare southern dialect of Hebrew, it could be said like this. All y'all. All y'all keep messing up and not listening. And all y'all know why this happened. Hosea 9-7 tells us that they will know why this is happening. It says the days of punishment have come. The day of recompense has come. And Israel shall know it. Now Ephraim, we know, is another name for Israel. It's one of the tribes, and, and they were the, the largest population there. So a lot of times they're just referred to Ephraim. The verb, who say, can be better understood this way. In, in spite of pride and arrogance of heart, so their pride and arrogance will not save them. So these corrupt people have decided to trust that their thoughts are correct, their own actions are just, and they rely on their means. And that's going to all come crashing down on them. Verse 10, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dress stones. The sycamores have been cut, but we will put cedars in their place. We see two things here are, are needing construction. So number one, it could be that it was the earthquake that caused damage. And we see a reference to earthquake in Amos 1.1. Or this could mean their knowledge that everything is collapsing around them. Either way, something has caused damage or is poised to cause damage and this people of God is refusing to seek him. In their arrogance, they would rebuild and they say, you know what? We'll just use better material than we had. We will use stone over mud and cedar over common sycamores. And 11 says, but the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. So 
Under Israel's first king, post-King Solomon, King Jeroboam, and Israel enjoyed a brief period of peace and success, but it didn't last long. And then Israel experienced a series of body blows after that. An enemy referenced in this case we shall see is Assyria. And Israel had a choice, belong to God and be free of the surrounding neighbors and all their power struggles, but they didn't. They chose to live in the world and therefore be subject to all their neighbors' power struggles and battles for this world domination in this section. Soon they would learn that they're going to have to bow to somebody, and it's better, it's better so much to bow to God than man. So it's better to serve the imperishable versus the perishable. Verse 12, the Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with an open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Israel's constant battles for resources with its neighbors would have continued except for the Assyrian army God was bringing that was going to enact his judgment on the land. Israel thought, hey, you know what? We're going to join up with our neighbors who we usually fight with, but we're going to join and form an alliance. But, and they thought they'd be saved from this. But Isaiah could see that by joining these people, they were really being swallowed up. And the picture here, get this, the picture here is something, something someone's swallowing with an open mouth. So it's the ultimate picture of greed and of avarice. So we never want to be on this last part of this repeating phrase. We don't want God's anger to be on us. And then if you remember the picture we see in the Exodus, God redeeming his people with an outstretched hand to take care of them, here it's used in an opposite manner. The promised Redeemer is now alienated from them. And let that sink in for a moment. Here the God of the universe is alienating you. So never again would they be in their homeland as a result of this. Never again. They would be marched out and they would not be in this. This would not be their home. All that they had would be destroyed and then new people would live there. A political collapse, the third, the, a political collapse. In 13 through 17, we see a further collapse of the leaders of Israel. The, blick, the bricks were collapsing in 10, and now the leaders are falling. Because this is an evasion from God, and man can't stop it. And poor leadership makes the land worse. Young, strong men are not able to take care of themselves nor their families. And the other people the Lord says to care for, we know the widows and the orphans, they're not successful without commitment from the Lord. When the word, and we know that means Jesus, is rejected, every grace 
is subject to corrosion. So verse 13. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. Okay, a great takeaway from this verse is to realize that something that goes against the world's nature. The only way to flee from God's wrath is to flee towards him. Let me repeat that. The only way to flee from God's wrath is to actually flee towards him. We must turn to him to escape wrath. Because when we seek repentance, what happens? When you seek true repentance from God, you get it. And before God in repentance, we know that wrath melts and mercy triumphs. Deuteronomy 12, 5 through 7, talking about seeking the Lord in worship, says, But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, and your tithes, and the contribution that you present your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So you are to seek God, find God, worship God, and in all, ble in all the blessings you have, while you are on this earth for the short time that you will be. And then make sure you're telling this to your entire household and everyone around you, so that no matter what happens around you, you and your family are blessed. In this life, you may not feel like you've been blessed by God all the time, but just wait, just wait. You're going to see we are well blessed beyond comparison. So verse 14, so the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. Boy, how it quickly can change in one day. So verse 15, we're going to cover, we'll talk about the downfall in leadership. In verse 16, we'll describe the reason for it. 17 describes the downfall of the people and the reason for it. Now, the single day here, that can either re refer to the fall of Samaria in 1722 or the death of their king Jeroboam II, which started this final collapse. And then also in this note, the, um, the pairs of opposites, head and tail, one end to the other, palm branch and reed. So palm branch and reed is tall growth versus a lower growth. We see the palm as this eminent, royal, powerful, to the lowly, ground-hugging reed. And in verse 15 says, the elder and the honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. The thing about Isaiah, he will often explain what his prophecies are. And he does that here. 
He's telling us the important people at the top realm in this community, by their influence, are still bringing inadequate leadership to Israel. And then he's either being vengeful or he's having the last laugh at this long line of false prophets that were up north. He calls them the tail, which in today would not, would not be PC, but it's accurate. So they want, these false prophets wanted to be seen and identified as important. Instead, they caved in and went with the crowds and wished for anything instead of truly seeking and, and worshiping God. They went with what society was considered popular for the day and made those prophecies. Verse 16. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. How appropriate a verse. We see the leader and the people being led will disappear without a trace. They were on the wrong road. They were on the road to destruction. And this was thousands of people. And by reading this, it makes you think, of Matthew 7:13, right? That verse tells us that the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Verse 17. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men, has no compassion on their fatherless and widows, for everyone is godless and an evildoer. Every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger is not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Still, his hand is outstretched, and his anger is not turned away. We see here that people like widows and orphans that God truly cares about, they do not get a pass when they're evil. When he rejected Israel, he rejected all of them because they were all guilty. And the good thing is God is not a fickle God. He's not a God who becomes mad in a moment and takes it out and just wipes everybody out. These people had to push him, push him to reject them all. And we see this in prior books, right? You see this with um, Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? We see that he was saved out of there before destruction came. And then think about wicked Ahab and Jezebel in 1 Kings. And God took a remnant of good prophets and hid them in a cave and saved them. But Isaiah here tells us that everyone in this land is ungodly and an evildoer. We see God's judgments are based on careful examination of the evidence. Now on section 3. Social anarchy. We're going to look at 18 through 21. 18 through 21. Now, with weak leadership being the norm, self-seeking and a self-gratification goes unchecked. And then we see a breakdown in society. This breakdown is the, natu the natural progression of sin. And it's going to bring the wrath of the Lord which is the final stop that that progression is leading to. Verse 18. 
For wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns, it kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Where the previous section described the inadequate leadership and how they destroy a people, we're going to see the results of that destruction here. Wickedness describes all aspects of life away from God and from his law. So we see here that once it's admitted in, it will take on a life of its own. And the analogy that's used here is like that of a destructive fire. And we saw plenty of those over the summer, right? Okay, so the first mention is talking about briars and thorns. And we don't care about them so much, right? And they're always pictured as evil in the Bible. So the good thing is, is they're destroyed, right? The thing is, though, sin affects everything. So this community that's pictured as a forest, as seen here, goes up and is totally destroyed. So the bad is gone, and now the whole community's gone. And they drift away. The picture here is in a cloud of smoke. But in real life, they're going to drift away, chained together in a column of prisoners. Verse 19. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. So Israel is removed, and verse 19 tells us it was not done by mistake. God has given his people so many chances to repent and to run to him, but they refused and embraced wickedness, not him. So part of that wickedness is they no longer cared for their family. Now this was not a blended community. This is not people that came in from different countries, different walks of life. You've got to realize their relations go all the way back to one father, Jacob. Now, I know they had fathers before that, but these were all the sons of Jacob, and they were abusing their relatives there. For what? For what? But the picture we also get is since King Jeroboam died, six kings reigned. So this gives you the picture of how violent they were and how abusive they were. Five of those following kings were there through assassinations. So this shows you that what their goal was. One passed his son through, the, through uh, the throne, through his death. The rest was through assassinations. And that shows you that the people that came to power were not there to care for God's people. They were there to grab all the power and all the goods they could for as long as they could get it. Verse 20 says, they slice meat on the right, but they're still hungry. And they devour on the left, but they are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. For all their power grabs, they can't get satisfied. And they're so power hungry, they, they have to keep going thinking they will get fulfillment that never comes. We see this in our own life at many levels. Okay, ancient history moment, but that's okay. I lived it. 
Um, the first thing I thought about this was Enron. Some of you might be too young to, to know what remember that was. But, you know, on this side of the country, we were seeing explosive energy costs that were causing older people not to be able to even get electricity and people were passing away from it. And this was all to do to the, the company Enron and their leaders that were wanting more and more and more money. But also in my time, um, I've known men that have preyed on their own family just to keep feeding their desires. And that was some of the most wicked things I've ever seen in my life and I've ever had to deal with was confronting that. Just devastating. Devouring the flesh of their own arm is a picture of a person trying to satisfy their own cravings and their own strength. And we know as a body of believers, we belong to each other and we are to rely on each other and we are not to take advantage of one another. Verse 21, Manasseh devours Ephraim and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. So let me give you a history lesson, a, a refresher of these two people groups. Jacob had a son, Joseph. That was the, the guy with the multicolored jacket. He had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So the picture we're getting here is brother against brother, and it leads to utter destruction that they're never going to return from. Never going to return from. And the only thing that united this evil was their hatred towards Judah, their other relative. So they would, in perilous times, with, with very perilous times, they would spend and take resources that there wasn't much of to try and go to battle with a relative led to destruction. The last and the fourth stanza is moral perversion. And that covers chapter 10, 1 through 4. Chapter 10, 1 through 4. We go back to looking at the leaders, but this time not in a general sense like we did earlier. Isaiah here is going to get specific in what he's talking about. And we'll see he is talking about a blatant misrule and a willingness to rewrite laws to enhance their own personal interest of these poor leaders. And then we will see how God will cause them to be doomed in the end. Verses 1 and 2 together. Woe to those who decree iniquitous degrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and they may make the fatherless their prey. Woe is coming to all, and it will include those 
who are writing laws that deny justice and benefit them or their cronies. They are not seeking to follow God's requirements and protect the weak and the lowly. They are solely looking to keep feeding their lust and feeding their greed. They were stealing fields and houses from widows and, and probably no doubt selling orphans as slaves. Pure evil. And they did all of this in the defiance of all that God had decreed for treatment of his people. And we see all through the Bible that requirement of taking care of the of widows and orphans, and these people were just abusing him. Verse 3. What will you do on the day of punishment? In the ruin that will come from afar, to whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? So we see God is getting very direct in verse 3. Um, a more understanding or meaning of the word punishment here, we could use the term reckoning, which reckoning has that basic sense of somebody coming to visit or inspect and then re refers to a day when God's rule is directly brought to bear on these folks. Ruin is a concealed reference to Assyria. They are the ruin that is coming. And then look at these questions. Look at these questions he's going to give to them. God is telling them straight up that they're ruined. They are about to be put to death or worse, be a slave on a long march to go serve in another land. God is not there for them. And then where can they go? If they were na naive to think that now they could call on God, guess what? He tells them it's not going to happen. Oh, they can call. They can call all they want to. They are still going to go down. It's like they were so full of greed and what they could capture from the people around them, they never thought of the consequences that would come. And with God, there is no protection. Assyria is there to conquer them. The Israelites' wealth is now not worth anything. Why? They will probably be killed, and if they are killed, the wealth will be taken by somebody else, the conqueror, and they'll be marched to another land. My love way tells them, to whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? Because it's leaving you. Verse 4, nothing remains except to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Nothing remains is the perfect term to use here since God is out of the picture in Israel. Israel shows up, they're going to pack up everything of value, 
remove everything they want, the people they want, and they're going to truck in a new group of people to make this their land. Like we talked about last week, they're going to set up three provinces. This will be a brand new land with brand new people. Crouch among the prisoners is something they will all do. They will all do. And then some will fall. It means death is a fate that will happen to some of them. The rich and the powerful did not intend. This was not in their five-year or their 10-year plan for this to happen to them. Um, of course, death and destruction was not in any of their plans. The last verb in the first part of verse 4 is fall. And I think that's so appropriate when you look back to the beginning and in 9-8, and this word was going to fall on them. The sinfulness of Israel is not exclusive. There were many like this before them, and there are many like them to this day. What we need to do is keep us, keep our focus on God to get us through all these times that we're in now. We're to remain strong as a body and care for one another and look out for the widows and orphans. You know, I got to this part in my sermon and my wife will tell you, she doesn't know how I even do this because I'll have something else playing sometimes, one or two other things playing while I'm writing. It's just, it helps me focus. And I got to this thing, the song, Turn Your Eyes to Jesus came on. And it was so, so poignant. It was like, wow. You know, the song is, I thought, how perfect. We're to turn our eyes to Jesus. That's a good reminder. And look full in his wonderful face. And we do this, the song tells us, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. It's like, ah, oh, thank you. Thank you for that perfect ending, Jesus. So, our goal should be that way. We should learn to focus on God every day and grow so strong by looking at his face that the things of this earth get dimmer and they get dimmer so that all we really see is a hurting land that needs Jesus. And this makes us want to share about this wonderful Savior. Because as I mentioned earlier, Matthew 17 is real. And you guys all see this in your own lives. That the gate is broad and the way is easy that leads to the path of destruction. So when you get tempted to look back at the things of this earth, and they look good, right? Remember what God asked the Israelites as they faced destruction. He said, where are you going to leave your earthly wealth? Where are you going to leave it? For our command is to build a heavenly wealth. So seek God constantly, stay in his favor, and you will never fail to praise him, no matter what happens in your life. Let's pray. Dear God, we just want to thank you so much for your word.
we want to thank you so much for the examples you give to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who spoke through man and left us these words. We thank you that we see your Son all through this. May we never take that for granted. Help us to really plan our days that we are seeking your face. And Lord, help us to, as we talked about earlier, help us to bring big prayers through you. Prayers for family, prayers for children. May we all start praying for, for Al's grandchild, that he know you one day, or she, and that we see this generation continue to flourish in knowing you. What an outstanding thing for Al to be in heaven one day and this lineage come up to him and say, thank you for praying for me. How awesome that will be. Mm. Amen.